Hey, this is Greg. And Zach. Welcome back to the Harvestgate podcast. This week, questions. Frequently asked questions. We're covering a range of topics and answering some of the most common questions we get when we share the message and vision of Harvestgate Network and Harvestgate Coffeehouse. We'll also spend a few minutes updating you on our 21 Days of Prayer event and progress towards our monthly fundraising goals. Uh, But before we dig into questions, we want to speak briefly directly to you, our listeners. Uh, Thank you so much for listening and learning about this project. We've had a lot of great feedback, but we wanted to quickly mention, uh, Zach, that we've gone global. Global, baby. Yeah. Worldwide. So uh, we've noticed that there are people all across America who are are listening, and we are so grateful for each of you. Thank you, wherever you may be. But we also have some listeners in Ireland, and I just want to say thank you. I don't know how you found us. I don't know anything like that, but uh, if you would reach out, I would love to connect with you uh, wherever you are in the world. Uh, You can email me at Zach, Z-A-C-K, at harvestgate.org. And we just want to know um, a little more about you so that we can uh, just thank you for your support and, and being a part. But yeah, we're, we're excited for everyone and we are grateful for your support through listening. And we're excited just to be able to share more with you each week. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I love technology. I love, you know, the kind of data that we can get, the feedback to find out where all these people are that are listening to the podcast and, and how interesting all that is and how you know, despite the fact that we're not like technical geniuses and we don't know anything about search engine optimization or something like that, that we're still able to connect with these people from all over the world. It's really interesting. Yeah. And I'm grateful for technology too. Uh, When I was in the military, I served in Iraq and Afghanistan and it allowed me uh, through technology like Skype and things like that, I was able to see my family. Yeah. And that was a huge blessing. So we're grateful for technology. We're grateful for our listeners. We're grateful just uh, for for God's grace that's poured out through so many different avenues. Absolutely. So shout out to everybody listening. Uh, you guys are awesome. Let's talk about questions. You know, when we introduce this topic, uh, when we talk about Harvestgate and Zach, I'm sure when you've, you know, kind of presented it to people, you probably get a lot of questions. Like, what are some of the most common questions you get when you're explaining this project for the first time? Yeah, well, before I get into those, I want to talk about a question or maybe questions that you have had before. Uh, When we had one of our first team meetings, I kept mentioning church planting, church planting, multiplication, multiplication. Yeah. And you had made a joke. You're like, man, I, I feel like we need to get some, like, Harvestgate swag with, like, uh, garden gloves. Yeah, it, maybe like a little knee pad to sit on when you're doing some gardening. It's got the Harvestgate yeah, logo. And yeah. I I looked at you with, a, I'm sure, a puzzled look. And I said, what, like, what are you talking about? Well, you, you said, well, you keep talking about church planting, and it's just, uh, like, it's strange to me that you're talking about that. Yeah, I think from uh, somebody who doesn't spend maybe as much time involved in the church, or just doesn't, isn't exposed to that terminology, uh, my initial reaction was sort of, I feel like I understand what you're talking about, uh, but I also am not 100% sure. Yeah. So church planting is essentially the idea of starting new churches. Um, we talk about through the Harvestgate network, and again, not this is not exclusive just to us, but how the harvest is plentiful, but the, the, the workers are few. 
Um, those were those were actually Jesus's words in Luke chapter nine, verse thirty-seven, I believe. Um, but the idea is is that we are uh, maybe uprooting from where we are and going, and we are planting ourselves in a new community where maybe uh, the there is a gospel need, and I would I would suggest that there is a gospel need everywhere. In Columbus, for example, in 2010, so this data is 10 years old, uh, it showed that there were 693,127 people with zero religious affiliation in Columbus. So that does not even, I mean, that's just no religious affiliation at all. This doesn't include Jews or Muslims or uh, nominal Christians or anything mm-hmm. like that. So there is a huge need for a transforming presence in Columbus. So we are uprooting ourselves from where we are. And like we've said this before, we are currently in Newark, Ohio. We are going to be moving to Columbus and planting ourselves there, planting a faith community there uh, in order to to be a blessing to the community. And and I think that the house church uh, uh, or, how, uh, excuse me, church planting concept also ties a little bit into another term that we heard a lot uh, or that I heard a lot in some of those first meetings, which was multiplication. Yes. So multiplication, this is, a, I want to say it's a relatively new term within um, – church leadership conversations. Um, And it's this very, very biblical concept that the church should be growing, Mm -hmm. uh, not not for the sake of numbers. Um, Like, so I don't want to say that we don't care about the numbers because numbers are important. Right. And I mean, your wife would agree with this. She's a, a, you know. Numbers are very important to her. Yeah, she loves numbers. She's a numbers person. Uh, And I believe that numbers are important to God as well. Uh, In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible named Numbers. Um, It's why I think that they have censuses, sensei, sense. Sensei? No, that's different. (laughs) Uh, But censuses in the Bible, it's one of the first experiences in the church where the Holy Spirit is poured out. In Acts chapter 2, we read of a miraculous filling of the Spirit and 3,000 members were added to the church that day. We read that in verse 41. So then by the end of chapter 2, we read that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Jump a little uh, further ahead in Acts, which Acts, uh, Greg, just so you know, is is a book that basically explains the the beginnings of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so Jesus uh, is uh, crucified. He's buried. He raises again. He hangs around for uh, forty or fifty days. I, I'm having a, a, a brain, you know, whatever, and um, and then he gives the great commission. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And surely I will be with you to the end of the age. And then he ascends to heaven. And all of the disciples are kind of like left gazing into this, like into the sun. Like, where did he go? And an angel says, like, what are you doing? You've got to go. Like, go do your, what you're called to do. Right. So, um, so then we see the birth of the church at Pentecost, which we just talked about this, where 3,000 were added to the church that day. And then 
daily there were those who were being added, uh, those who were being saved. So in chapter five, we learned that uh, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. That's in Acts 5, 14. By chapter six, we learned that their numbers shift from addition to multiplication. Acts chapter six, verses one and verse seven says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In chapter 16, we read that not only were there a number of disciples that were increasing, but the number of churches were increasing. So Acts chapter 16, verse 5 says this, so the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. So what we understand is that multiplication is biblical and it's something that we ought to do and something that we ought to strive for. But it's also important that we understand that it is not us, man, who multiplies or who increases the number. That's something that God does. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow, or only God gives the increase. So I believe that we have a responsibility to make disciples who make disciples who then go on to make disciples. Right. Um, so we might say, you know, we have a responsibility to do, to display a faithful presence of God in this world around us. Um, and what we, what research has shown is that um, in many cases that new church plants are more effective at reaching the loss than established churches are. So regardless as to whether or not we're called to plant churches, because um, that's not ever, that's not a calling that every church leader has. Right. We are all called to engage in this idea of multiplication. So maybe that's um, helping to start other church plants. Maybe we aren't the ones going and starting it, but being supportive or sending out church planters. Uh, but we're all for certain called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Well, I think it's not a it's not really a foreign concept. And if you look at it, I think in maybe in business terminology or in in other spaces, I think businesses want to create uh, people that uh, through word of mouth want to share their positive experience with something. And they want to tell somebody else how amazing it was so that they'll pass it on and pass it on and, and so on. Uh, and, and that they'll buy the product and that they'll, you know, get into it. So I think it's taking that concept, which is obviously not a foreign concept. If it's in the Bible, it's been around for a minute. Uh, and just trying to reapply that focus to what we're doing. Absolutely. And we should note that we want to multiply, like not all multiplication is good. Right. Because cancer multiplies. Yeah, can- and cancer sucks. Let's go on the record. Cancer sucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so we want to make sure that what we are multiplying is healthy. Yeah. That it's good, that it is of uh, sound doctrine. Uh, which doctrine might be another one of those churchy words that you know you or listeners may not be familiar with. Doctrine is essentially uh, the essential beliefs or core beliefs that we hold. Uh, so we want to make sure that we are uh, another word orthodox in our in our understanding of who God is. So orthodox um, comes from the word ortho. Uh, which is uh, to like set straight or to set right, where we get like orthodontics, um, orthopedics, orthopedics, mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, ortho, uh, 
doxy is like the right worship or right belief. Uh, so, so we want to make sure that what we are multiplying is good and not just numbers for numbers sake. Yeah. Uh, and, and I would say that it's, it's not about, uh, this is, well, this is not, this is not my saying. I don't know where this, uh, the saying came from, but it's not about seating capacity, but it's about sending capacity. That as a um, as believers, we are called to go, not called to collect. Mm. And what I have found throughout the Bible is that any time the church or God's people start to collect themselves or gather themselves and kind of isolate themselves, He causes something to happen that scatters them. So in Acts chapter one verse eight, we read. It says, and you will receive power when my spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's all well and good, but what we hear is that um, they stay in Jerusalem for the first seven chapters, and then, um, kind of, again, kind of gathering themselves, kind of, you know, circling the wagons, if you will. Um, and then persecution happens. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, so kind of the, you know, the, uh, what do you call that? The, the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, in that day, a great persecution broke out in the church and everyone except for the apostles who stayed in Jerusalem went to Judea and Samaria. And so when we isolate ourselves or we turn inward on ourselves, uh, God will find a reason to scatter us in order to take the gospel where it needs to go. So it's, I think we do a great job of explaining, uh, or you, you did a great job of explaining what uh, multiplication is and, and the sort of what planting a church is in that terminology. I want to move on to when the church has been planted, let's say. When uh, we've moved to Columbus, we have uh, a house that we're going to start hosting that service in. Um, what is, you know, on a Sunday morning, what does house church service look like? Yeah, so it's interesting that you say on a Sunday morning, and um, typically that's when most churches take place. Sure. Um, and, and recently, in the, I say recently, in the last 15 to 20 years, churches have started having Saturday night services mm-hmm. in order to have other people come who may not be able to come on Sunday mornings. Or um, uh, Here's the beauty of having a house church. Is well, and this is you can do this with any church. It's not exclusive only to house churches, but it makes it much easier within a house church. We can meet any night of the week that we desire. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for one house church, it may be most beneficial uh, for them to meet on a Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. For another house church, it might be most beneficial for them to meet on a Saturday morning. For others, it might be Sundays. Uh, for others, it might be another day of the week. It doesn't. It's not relegated only to Sundays, um, but this gives flexibility that each house church kind of has some autonomy to uh, to meet when is most convenient for them to set a t- aside a particular time for us to to gather. Um, uh, for encouragement, for learning the scriptures, for prayer, uh, for fellowship, and for receiving the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. uh, communion. Uh, so, so that's that's one thing that may be um, 
I don't want to say different, but that's unique about house churches or that gives, that has, I think, a lot, has a lot more flexibility. Um, but once once the church gets going, and and I should preference, uh, preference preface all of this uh, with this statement. We're not entirely sure how it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, we have ideas. It's still early planning on a few things, and there's certainly things that you know you want to do, uh, and the, and but still maybe not fully formed plan yet. Yeah, I was actually listening to an NPR uh, segment yesterday mm-hmm. in, uh, in Marketplace Tech, and they talked about how the future of tech uh, companies and the future of companies in general is that they plan for failure. Of course, nobody ever wants to fail. Sure. Uh, I certainly don't want to fail. However, but what we do want to plan for is what if things don't go the way that we are anticipating they go? Yeah. What is our contingency plan? So what I'm – as I process through this with you, Greg, there are going to be things that will probably change along the way because it may not work the way that – you know, there's a lot of uh, things um, that are great on paper but on – like when it comes down to it. Really doesn't work out that well. Communism might be one of those things. Looks great on paper. <laughs> Often, most of the time, doesn't work out well. Um, so, we would gather, and we would spend time sharing a meal together. Uh, much of what Jesus did, and much of the experiences that Jesus had, centered around eating. It is something that is common to all human beings. Wherever you live in the world. I haven't met anyone that doesn't eat. Yes. And if I did, I would I would be concerned. I'm thinking like a, you know, Terminator type situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so so Jesus, uh, Jesus actually says, I am the bread of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there's this, there's a very intimate connection that happens when we gather together and we share a meal. In fact, I think when Liz and I first told you and Emily about the church plant, it was over a meal. Yeah, and there's there's something that happens where it breaks down barriers because um, it's it's something that's very carnal about all of us. We all have to eat, yeah. And so if if nothing else, we find commonality around the table. So we would share a meal together, and in that conversation is good. You know, we we talk about the fun things of life. We talk about the heavy things of life. We share with one another. Um, I have had some very, you know, intimate conversations over dinner time. Uh, at mm-hmm. my my house, one of the things we do is we play a game called highs and lows. And so, um, we go around the table, and I say to my children, you know, what was your high for the day? What was your low for the day? And it it gives us just some talking points. So, again, not that at you know church and that we have to play highs and lows, but um, but it's just a good way to engage in conversation. Yeah. Uh, to to pause. And, and really fellowship with one another. Um, so again, that's another piece is fellowship is just, you know, enjoying one another's company. Um, and then we would gather for the sharing of the word. And as I anticipate, we will have um, a rotation of people who will share uh, the, the message. So part of our discipleship model is that uh, we are daily engaging in the word of God. Um, and there's, you know, there's a specific Bible reading plan that we go through. Um, 
And so the hope is, is that everyone who's attending the church would be in some sort of a disciple, would be in a discipleship group. And so we're all reading the same things throughout the week. Um, and the, the hope is, is that whoever's leading the, the teaching or the discussion this day uh, would be sharing from something that God spoke to them earlier in the week through their reading. So today, uh, my Bible reading was from Acts chapter 13. So maybe uh, we, let's say in this example, in three days from now, we have, you know, our house church meeting or we have our, we have church, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'm on the rotation to teach this week. So I would look at these scriptures and I would, I would share what God has spoken to me. But what's different about this compared to, again, we've talked about like a traditional kind of church or an attractional kind of church is it's not going to be me standing up uh, on a stage in front of people who are sitting in rows this generally is not how people really learn. This is more of like a seminar kind of thing. Um, rather, we'll be sitting in a circle, maybe around a table while we're still eating food. I don't know. Um, it, in my house currently, the way that our small group meets is we go down to the basement and we all sit on the couches and we all, we're looking at each other. We're engaging. There's kids running in and out. Um, we, you know, there's kids who come in and just sit and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we, we share so I'll, I'll share and I'll ask questions, you know, how does this challenge you in like in the way that you would live? How, how are you challenged by this? How are you convicted by this? Yeah. Um, and, and somebody might say, I have a question. This thing just didn't like this thing in the, the, the scriptures rubbed me the wrong way. Let's talk about that. And so we, it opens up discussion. So then it's not just one guy or gal who is uh, reading the scriptures and saying, this is what you need to believe. Um, rather, it's a communal learning experience where we are, where we're learning the scriptures together. And we, and here's the thing that I love. We have this, uh, I don't love this, but here's, I think the, the correction to this is what I love. We have this problem in the church, and it's getting better. Um, but and it's this idea that people are not allowed to have doubts. Hmm. Yeah. People aren't allowed allowed to have questions. If you have a question, something or there's something about uh, our statements of faith that you know, like I'm just I'm just not there, man. Like, and I'm wrestling with that. What. What a lot of it's kind of like an unspoken thing that happens, but it's like, oh wow, if you're questioning that, are you really even a Christian? Well, and questions is a fundamental part of learning and understanding. You have to ask questions to get a better understanding of something, to maybe get it rephrased into terms that you can understand or into context that you can understand. Um, you know, it, it seems like you know, think about everybody's experience in school and how many. You know, how many times you're sitting there raising your hand so that you can ask a question to clarify, you know, something, a point that somebody made. Exactly. And when we apply it to faith, a lot of times it's just like, oh, you you are a bad human being because you question this thing. And, right. Um, and, and I want to point to uh, the disciple Thomas. He, he gets a bad rap. He's known as Doubting Thomas <laughs> because when Jesus showed up after he resurrected— uh, he showed up to 10 of the disciples. 
Thomas wasn't there. He was, you know, he was out doing something. Oh. And Thomas wasn't there when Jesus showed up. So when Thomas does show back up, Jesus isn't there anymore. And all the disciples are like, you won't believe what just happened. <laughs> Jesus came back. We, like, it was awesome. He's like, yeah, unless I touch the holes in his hand and touch the holes in his side, you know, I'm just not going to believe. You all had too much of that wine. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And um, so, but here's, the, here's, what I, here's what I discovered. Thomas didn't leave the church. He, like, after that experience, he wasn't like, well, you guys are all, you know, idiots. I'm, I'm just leaving. I'm, you know, I'm peacing out. He stayed around. He hung around with the believers. He brought his doubts to church. And what he was missing was this experience with Jesus that transformed his thinking. Eventually, Jesus shows up and he says, hey, Thomas, um, here, put put your hands in the hole. Put, touch, touch the holes in my hand, touch the hole, like, and, and then Thomas says this, he says, my Lord and my God. And in the gospels, Thomas is the very first one, the very first person who, who identifies Jesus as God. So Thomas, Thomas, Thomas the doubter mm-hmm. is actually the very first person who identifies Jesus, not only as a, as Lord, not only as teacher or or rabbi or Messiah, but he actually identifies him as God. And so bring your doubts to church. And uh, that's the reason why we gather together as a community so that, uh, you know, hopefully if you come to, to, to church with doubts, the rest of us there are there to encourage, to help you wrestle through those things. And mm-hmm. as long as we don't all show up with the same doubts on the same day, we're good. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's a place where we can come with our doubts and our, I'm using finger quotes, you can't see it here on the podcast, but as long as we come with our disbeliefs, right. um, we, it, it's a safe place where we can explore who God is and challenge one another. And then uh, we will wrap up our time with the receiving of communion. Uh, communion is goes by many different names. Communion, Eucharist, which comes from the Greek word ephoresto, which is to give thanks. So it's a, it's a time of giving thanks. Um, uh, it goes by the Lord's Supper. They're all synonymous words with one another. But, and I've talked about this before, that communion is a, is a central part of the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, which includes the Lord's Supper, to fellowship, and to prayer. So communion is a time where we gather to remember who God is, what Jesus did for us. It's a time where we can commune with one another and with God. It's where it's a time where we join in the suffering of Jesus so that we can join him in the resurrection. And there's like, so the the elements that are there, the bread and the wine, mm-hmm. the the bread is made without leaven or yeast. And this this reminds us that Jesus, uh, yeast represents sin uh, in, in, the old, in the New and Old Testament. And we see that Jesus was without sin and we must 
partake of him in order to receive that grace. The wine is both bitter and sweet. And so we see the bitterness of his death, but we also see the sweetness of the sacrifice and of his love in that. Uh, And it's also this calling to go out. Remember, we said it's not about seeding capacity, but it's about sending capacity. Mm -hmm. And so we are called not to gather ourselves only for the sake of ourselves, but to scatter more or less and go out to go and make disciples. So it's it's simultaneously a call to Jesus and a call to go at the same time. And then uh, we, we will pray and, and encourage one another as there's needs. So in uh, in answering that question about, you know, on a Sunday morning, some of just to summarize a little bit, it doesn't necessarily have to be on a Sunday. Uh, can be different days of the week, can be, you know, flexible to... Uh, to a lot of different things, but I want to uh, pick up on one or two things that you mentioned in there. Uh, the first, just briefly, you know, maybe a common question that we've had is, what about my kids? You know, if I'm going to go to a house church, how does childcare work? Uh, you had mentioned in the uh, example of the young adult group that you lead that a lot of times the kids are you know, in and out. If they want to listen, they can come sit down and be part of that. Uh, Or if they're off playing and having fun, then, you know, then that's what they're doing. So is that maybe a similar, um, you know, scenario or? It's similar. What I would say is as we move into uh, a more intentional house church model, we will be more intentional about incorporating kids and teenagers and everyone in between. One of the things that has happened in the church is we have had these big generational gaps. You could almost call them generational wars. Hmm. You know, it's the whole OK Boomer um, uh, culture that's going on. Uh, You know, every generation, you know, complains about the generation after them. Well, we weren't as bad as they are and blah, blah, blah. They're all entitled jerks and blah, blah. And and that happens in, in larger society. Sadly, it also happens in the church. Um, but there is lots of biblical principles. It says that the younger should learn from the older, and the older should use the strength of the, of the young. Uh, Jesus tells us that unless we have faith of a little child, that we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So we need one another, and what has happened, and... I should also clarify this. I'm not against children's programs at churches. I'm not against youth groups. But I think that there is value in in bringing the generations together. Yeah. Uh, the the number of I, I don't know the the statistics, but it's it's heartbreaking. The number of um, church going or youth group attending teens who. When they go to college, they drop out. It's it's in the it's high. I want to say eighty or ninety percent or something. I I don't have the statistics that you know. You mean dropping out of church, right? Church altogether, right, right. faith, and all those kinds of things. And I can say I fit that category because I went to <clears throat> I went to church regularly as a kid with my parents, uh, Sunday school, uh, and then I went to a youth group down the road from my high school and. Like, like, as you say, and I was, I was pretty into it too. Uh, and soon after that kind of just wasn't a priority, um, you know, uh, just sort of, I don't think there was an intentional moment where I was like, oh, I'm not going anymore, but yeah. it just kind of stopped. 
Yeah, when when I was in, uh, when I was a teenager, I went to youth group because, first of all, my parents made me, but also because there were girls there. Well, yeah. And it became a social <laughs> club for me. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I didn't have any impactful spiritual moments there, but it was mostly just a social club for me. And so what we want to do is we want to to, to gather the family together mm-hmm. and equip parents how to disciple their own children, uh, to, to lead their own children. Because sadly what happens, again, this is not the case. This is not an, an exclusive statement or like a, a you know, one size fits all statement. But a lot of times what happens is parents send their kids to children's ministry or kids church or youth group um, so that the children's leaders or the youth leaders can teach their kids all the spiritual things that they need to know. And then they kind of give up responsibility themselves of actually leading their children. Again, that's not a blanket statement for everyone. Sure. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I, I've heard, I've heard some people say, well, like, well, this is like an hour that I get away from my kids where I can just <laughs> kind of like focus on myself. And I understand that I have three kids. It's nice to get time away, but, um, I don't. I don't want to be ever accused of of shunting my kids away to, to someplace else so that I don't have to deal with the responsibility of them. Um, my number one priority is is first discipling my family. That includes like so leading my wife and leading my my children in hopes that they go on. And what we see is in uh, in the Bible. It's like in Acts chapter seventeen, I believe. We hear that Lydia, she was a maker of fine linen, fine purple linen. Um, uh, she was the first woman who was baptized in Europe. But here's what we hear. Lydia and her entire household was baptized and they all became believers. Uh, and then in that same chapter, there is a Roman jailer who was baptized, and he and his entire household was baptized. And so what we see is this communal, familial growing together. And so so we'll have to contextualize pieces of our teaching. And so uh, we have actually partnered with a church network called the One Multi-Church Network. It's a network of house churches. And they have... um, uh, some tools and technology that they use in order to teach the gospel to people. So they have they have an app that they've developed that they play on an Apple TV, and a lot of times the scripture that they use is um, it's done in video format, and it's kind of like uh, I, I don't want this to to minimize it, but it's kind of like this cheesy kids video, mm-hmm. like kind of cartoony, and it's like oh, it it um. But the truths in it are profound, and it tells it in very simple ways. Now, they're using this, this tool, to teach the gospel to Muslims. And, um, but it's also very contextualized for children as well. So we could use a tool like that to share a gospel message or to share the, the Bible story with our children. Right. Engage them into conversation. Engage them into worship. And then understanding that kids have the attention span of about a goldfish. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, if we're, let's say we're meeting and we're discussing hypothetically for an hour, 
Yeah. My kids are not going to sit through an hour of that. So maybe we have them in there for 15 minutes or so. And we share this story and, and then uh, and then we let them go play with one another. Or if they want to stay in and do that, they can. And, sure. Uh, but just being around people who are growing together, I think, is a huge opportunity for kids to lo- learn and grow. Yeah, absolutely. I think it puts it into a, a medium that, that they can appreciate, mm-hmm. you know, that they're maybe going to pay more attention to. Yeah. And, and I think that there's one last thing. I think that there's a big focus on our behalf of training and equipping uh, not just what the parents and the community to raise children. Um, I always, I say, I say it takes a village to raise a village idiot. Um, (laughs) And and I am a village idiot who has been raised by a village. And I'm so grateful for the community of people who have surrounded me. Yeah. And so uh, last night um, you were help, you and Emily were at our church helping to set up for a night to shine, which is Mm -hmm. uh, an, an awesome event. And, you had said, hey, do you know where my kid is? I said, yeah, he's out playing with our other kids. And I said, well, we'll go check on him. I said, I can go check on him. And they said, well, like if he's doing something wrong, send him back here and, and, and we'll correct him. And I said, well, I can correct him too. And they said, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, you know, yeah. so like there's I, – I want you, if my kids are misbehaving, for you to correct them, you know. Um, yeah, like when they were asking about going like up in the attic or something – you know, to to look for play hide and seek. I was like, maybe maybe not. Yeah, that's not a super <laughs> great idea. Um, but I think there's there's a beauty in in collective and familial learning. So we also want to train and equip people to to do that, not only in a house church setting, but in their own homes as well. Yeah, there's one more quick question, and I guess it's not maybe not that quick of a question, but I want to make sure we get it in <clears throat> as we're talking about uh, uh, these common questions that we get, and this is. Both sort of a, a resource question, but also uh, maybe a logistical question. You know, as the leader of a house church, where do you go when you have somebody who's reaching out for help for uh, addiction or abuse? Like, you know, in a life group, if somebody's in a in a moment of need and and they uh, require more uh, from from you know the individual leading that life group, they have that home church to go back to. So, in a house church, where are you going for? those sorts of resources? Or are you going to kind of anticipate some of those needs and try to build some infrastructure around that? Yes. Uh, it's a great question and uh, certainly one to, to explore. So as um, as we start out, there's only going to be one house church right? for one. Um, my role as the ordained pastor is to train and raise up and equip leaders who then can go on and start it their own house church or, you know, and we, we will launch them out and celebrate when that happens. Uh, but like you said, there are situations that may be beyond their scope of experience. So this is a great opportunity for me to come in and, um, you know, kind of give some feedback or dialogue with the house church leader. These are ways that you can, can go, but there's also a sense of humility that we need to have. A lot of times we don't have all the answers. I don't have all of the answers. Right. Um, and so, I don't want to be afraid um, to uh, send people to people who are experts. So some people, um, addiction is one thing that I, you know, I have worked with a lot of people who have addiction. And I can kind of talk to them from a spiritual, theological kind of just human experience. Um, But sometimes they need deeper help. They might need to go to rehab. We're mm-hmm. not a rehab center. Um, um, 
so we want to partner with other organizations who who do those things and do, who do them well. Uh, there have been uh, – my sister's a psychologist, and so maybe uh, there have been situations where um, people are having marital issues, and it's – there's a lot of deep uh, wounds that have happened maybe before their marriage or maybe as a result of their marriage that I am not qualified or able to – to do. So like I would refer them to a counselor, to like someone who's been trained to do that. Uh, I have some pastoral uh, counseling experiences, but um, in, in training, but I think that there's, there's value in, in understanding where people are experts and sending them to those people. Right. Uh, and, you know, this is just one specific example, but through the coffee house, we also want to be a place where uh, people can come and meet. So there's a wonderful ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Now, this is not a ministry that's only for addiction, you know, like drugs and alcohol addiction. In fact, um, what I have learned is that it's not a good place if you want to get clean. It's a good place to go if you already are cl- clean and are wanting to kind of stay that way. Stay that way and, yeah. you know, continue on in your sobriety. But it, uh, so. Celebrate Recovery, it's there to help people with their hurts, habits, and hangups. So that could be financial addiction. It could be codependency uh, relationships. It could be mm-hmm. uh, gambling. It could be shopping. It could be whatever. Um, we all, as human beings, have hurts, habits, and hangups, and Celebrate Recovery is a place for that. Uh, so I would love, and this is what I, I envision, that one day we would host a Celebrate Recovery in the coffee house after hours. Right. So that might be a place where uh, there's crossover between the church and the coffee house. Um, and so really what it is, we want to lean into and build relationships with community partners who are already experts in the field. We don't need to be, um, we don't need to be experts in everything because that's not possible. We need to be uh, humble enough to know when this is above my pay grade and we need to seek you out. From uh, from there, and you know, we're kind of running out of time a little bit. We want to absolutely take more time to answer more uh, questions. And for anyone who's listening that has questions, uh, you know, please reach out to us. Send them to to us on social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram. You can, of course, contact us through our website or email Zach uh, at Zach at Harvestgate dot org. Uh, but we want to take just a couple quick minutes to talk about uh, some updates first on our twenty one days of prayer event. Yes. So at the time of the launch of this podcast, uh, February the 9th, uh, we have been through nine days of our prayer, uh, 21 days of prayer, and it's been phenomenal. Um, I, I know for me personally, and I've, uh, I, I want to thank everyone who is engaged in, our, you know, in, this, um, in this endeavor. As we've said before, we can't uh, do this without a moving of the Holy Spirit, and we absolutely believe that that is fueled by prayer. So, so far on our prayer journey, we have prayed through um, and prayed for our planting team, uh, for our network partners. Those would be anyone who's uh, joined with us financially, through prayer, through expertise, through uh, just general support and encouragement. Uh, we've prayed for um, and thanked God for our partner churches. And um, all of those who have partnered with us, we have prayed, uh, thanking God for the finances that have come in uh, and also for our fundraising goals, which I'll just take a moment just to talk about that. Yeah. Um, 
So far in February, our fundraising goal is $25,000. And I am uh, just beyond thrilled to, to say that so far we are over 30% of the way to our $25,000 goal. Yeah, just for uh, that monthly goal, right? Yeah, and, uh, you know, so th- praise God for that. We know that, um, that God has been speaking to you all. And we thank you for that. And um, maybe this is a moment where I can just say, listen to God. And if he wants you to give, uh, you can do so at harvestgate.org slash take hyphen action. And we covet your prayers. We covet covet your financial gifts. Um, we want to have an army of people who will who will gather around this this idea, and so thank you for for partnering with us. We've also prayed for vision cohesion that we would be unified um, as a team, as a community, as uh, a larger community, um, and we have prayed for team development that we would grow in maturity in unity with one another and favor with the community. We've prayed that disciples would be made. We pray, we've prayed for Columbus as, uh, as a city, just that God would move in and do powerful things in and through Columbus. And today we are praying for community needs, that God would reveal to us uh, the needs in the community, whether that's addiction or homelessness or illiteracy or whatever it may be, uh, that God would reveal those needs and that he would send in workers to the harvest to help engage in those things. And of course, we know that the gospel is a very real need there. Uh, And so you can find out more about the 21 Days of Prayer by following us on Facebook and Instagram and uh, through signing up for our newsletter, and we send that out weekly. Awesome. Well, we hope we were able to answer some of the common questions that uh, that maybe some of you have uh, listening to and learning about Harvestgate and what we're hoping to do. Uh, but if we didn't, please let us know. Again, uh, we want to talk about those and, and answer those questions, and we'll look forward to doing more episodes like this where we can kind of focus on that and dig a little bit deeper on a variety of topics. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks, Zach. Thanks, Greg. It's been fun. Follow us on social media at Harvestgate Network. There are several ways you can engage with us and support the Harvestgate Network at harvestgate.org. You can subscribe to the Harvestgate podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you're as excited as we are about this project, please consider supporting us by sharing, joining our prayer team, or donating on our website. Thanks for listening to the Harvestgate podcast, connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces.